You know, you just got these people who like genuinely enjoy going to a town hall and feeling like they're involved in political discourse and debate and they feel like their votes really matter and that they get to pick presidents. And I think if you don't kiss the ring, it pisses them off and they probably have some say. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Tuesday, August 8th. Today, I'm joined by Tara Palmieri to talk about the 2024 presidential race. Tara and I discuss whether early state political traditions in places like Iowa and New Hampshire still matter in presidential primaries, or if all politics in the Trump era is now national. We also take a look at the roster of ambitious Democrats who might step in to run for president if, if Joe Biden somehow decides not to run at the last minute. We'll discuss all that and much, much more on today's episode of Powers That Be. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash powers that be, netsuite.com slash powers that be. That's netsuite.com slash powers that be. Happy Tuesday, everybody. I'm joined today by Tara Palmieri to talk, what else? Presidential politics. Tara, how you doing? It's been a while. I know. I'm so happy to be back. Thanks for having me, Peter. It is great to have you here. I want to talk to you about a piece you wrote last week about who might step in in the Democratic Party (laughs) if Joe Biden suddenly decides not to run again. You wrote a piece sort of outlining the different names, the whispers, who might run, who might not, et cetera, et cetera. But first, I want to ask you, with the Iowa State Fair happening this week in Iowa and next week, the Republican candidates are going to Iowa. They're going to talk on the soapbox. I have a piece that went up on Puck uh, for the powers that be last night about this and just questioning, like, in the Trump era, in the social media era, do these sort of local political traditions still matter in the early states? Or is everything, especially in the context of the Republican Party, just Fox News and Dan Bongino and social media? You spent more time in the early states, the cycle than I have. Having been on the ground, how much do like endorsements from local activists still matter? Or, you know, speaking at the New Hampshire Federation of Republican Women lunch, like, are we overrating these things as reporters? I mean, because they've always been stuff that we've paid attention to, these cattle calls, Iowa State Fair, the Iowa family leader, or are they just being gently like snuffed out and everything is becoming nationalized. What's your opinion on that? 
I think it depends on the state, to be honest. Like, I think New Hampshire is very small. And you can make a lot of contact with people and do the retail politics and give them that those good feelings. Mm-hmm. So they'll vote for you in the primary in New Hampshire. And I think that the New Hampshire voters like sort of expect that at this point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, primary voters, they tend to be older, right? They're more politically engaged. I think a lot of these online wars are targeted not so much for the boomers, but like the generation below them. Mm-hmm. And I think like you can't really play a primary game just online. So I think you do have to do these rituals. Mm-hmm. I think do the endorsements really matter? I mean, Trump sort of proved that they didn't. Mm-hmm. But if that's all you're going to get, because Trump is holding on to that like core of online voters that love him still, it's like the QAnon crowd that Ron DeSantis is trying to tap into. Mm. That's not the only voter in a primary. You know, you just got these people who like genuinely enjoy going to a town hall and feeling like they're involved in political discourse and debate and they feel like their votes really matter and that they get to pick presidents. And I think if you don't kiss the ring, it pisses them off and they probably have some say. Mm -hmm. Now, does it mean like Chris Christie is spending all of his time in New Hampshire? Does that mean he's going to get the nomination? No. (laughs) I mean, he might be just spending all this time and money there and he probably won't get anything else. And, you know, Nikki Haley is spending a lot of her time in New Hampshire as well. And but really, she only has money until South Carolina. So that means like they need to have a good showing before the first three states. And I think it makes sense to, to really like burrow down. They don't have the megaphones that Trump has. So what else are they supposed to do? I think it's the only edge for them. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Like we used to talk about lanes in the Republican primary where it was like I talked about this with John on Monday. There was the evangelical lane and the business lane and the military lane and the libertarian lane. And Republicans used to be able to sort of pick one of those and try to grab from the others to, to get at least a plurality. Here it feels like Trump doesn't have to play by these local rules. Like, yes, he'll go to a Dairy Queen in Iowa, sure, and like shake some hands and buy everyone ice cream. But he doesn't have to do the soapbox at the Iowa State Fair. He didn't do that in 2016. He did the whole like helicopter ride at the Iowa State Fair. Like he is, because he is such a magnet for attention and he creates his own reality, he doesn't need to go and like kiss the ring of Bob Vander Plaats or Kim Reynolds because he has, he's one, like a big uh, attention merchant and two, he was president, so he already has the requisite fame to run run for office. And then you have the other lane where you have the Tim Scotts and Vivek's and Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley, Tim Scott. Like they need to play by more traditional rules because the only way they're going to compete with Trump is to sort of build some kind of coalition from the ground up that depends on maybe meeting with an op-ed board or like getting some local activists to endorse right. them because that gives them an edge not against Trump, but against everyone else in the field. I agree. I mean, everyone is sort of playing right now just to keep the money flowing, right? Because you basically Mm -hmm. are dead once you run out of money. And how do you keep the money flowing? You show donors that you're polling well Mm -hmm. relative to the other candidates that aren't Trump, because most of the donors don't want Trump, right? Mm -hmm. So really what they're playing right now is a game to uh, to keep their donors continuing to fund them for as long as possible in the case that Trump is arrested or something happens or mm-hmm. I don't know some sort of legal issue where he decides to bow out they need to keep the momentum there and I think they need to be showing on the ground I mean even just like for I saw Pence was at 3% like I, I was actually surprised that he's doing that well frankly <laughs> but like 
they need to be polling. Like they need to yeah. actually show up in polls to yeah. keep the money flowing. And I think you're right. They have to play a traditional game because they're not celebrities. They're not former presidents. And the Trump show is funny. Like people want to see it. They mm-hmm. want to go see Donald Trump show up in his helicopter or mm-hmm. they want to see him at the Dairy Queen. And it's it's the same thing when he was on The Apprentice and he wasn't the president. Mm-hmm. It's just a show. Mm-hmm. These people don't really quite have it. And so, yeah, I mean, DeSantis, sure, he won like half the state house in New Hampshire has endorsed him. But he has to do that. Yeah. What, else, what other game is he going to play? I mean, he's clearly failing at the I'm the creepier than you or further to the right than you game is somehow it's all backfiring on him with the fascist symbols and the Nazis and this and that and the QAnon conspiracies, which I'm sure his donors don't like. I I think he and his team have realized what you're saying, Tara, which is he's come off as too arcane in his language and too online. And I can't take credit for this, but some of the reporters who have been following him day to day out there were tweeting over the weekend that he's even using the word woke less and less in his speeches lately, because I think from some of your reporting as well, he's getting pressure from donors to appeal more to moderate Republicans, uh, or at least non-Trump Republicans. And he's got this goodwill with MAGA Republicans by being a conservative crusader in Florida, but he also has to tack on to them the sort of slightly more normy Republicans. And, you know, I think he's going to try to do that. I, I still don't know if his reflexes <laughs> will get him there because he does always default to, here's what I did in Florida. Oh my God, I've been in those rooms before. It's really nauseating. Seriously. Just listening to the Florida, 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 Florida. <laughs> I mean, I know I know Tina wrote about that too, about they've been telling him to lay off the Florida talk. It's just, it's too much. It's hard for a governor though. I mean, like I remember Rick Perry in 2012, like walked into the field. He's like, I'm going to take this from Mitt Romney. I got this. I'm from a big state. I've got a big motorcade. And he didn't have a message beyond I'm from Texas. Here's what I did in Texas, 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 Texas. And like, if you're in Iowa or anywhere else that isn't Texas, or if you're in Iowa that, or anywhere else that isn't Florida, okay, cool. I know you were a conservative there, but what is your vision and message for the country? And I think that's where DeSantis has been getting a little tripped up. Well, I think right now, to me, what I'm seeing is like DeSantis is running a Ted Cruz campaign in Iowa, right? And that's a way to probably give him some lead way and, and carry carry him through the campaign a little bit. He thinks maybe he can do well or perhaps beat Trump in Iowa. And that's what Ted Cruz did. And that's what they're doing. And it might work because I don't think all the donors in the party were invested in Ted Cruz the same way that they're invested in Ron DeSantis Mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. A lot of them are just like, yeah, they're looking in other directions and they want someone else. Mm -hmm. But they've also realized they put a lot behind him too and they kind of want to see if the horse can cross the line, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So... It's an interesting campaign, but he's like running to the right. He's basically Ted Cruz, but like not as charming as I often say. But it's just <laughs> it's an interesting. It's kind of like trying to redo 2016. But you're right. Things have changed since then. Uh-huh. And maybe like going to all 99 counties isn't going to do it anymore. Plus, every time he gets any momentum, Trump gets an indictment. And like it just proves again, you can go to the right of Trump, but nothing is going to be an indictment. Like, how do you best an indictment? To the, to the MAGA base. And that's what you're trying to win. Yeah. So rape, maybe he needs to pivot to normies. I don't know. That's it's that's going to be a hard pivot at this point. So far. So the uh, before we go to break, the we should mention, and I wrote about this as well, the New York Times in Siena, which is a very high quality, good poll, did a poll last week of Iowa Republicans. And in the top line, 
head-to-head matchups. Trump's lead wasn't as good as it is nationally, but it's still big. 44% to Ron DeSantis is 20. So he's up 24 points, not 40. And then Pence, Haley, Vivek, 3, 4, 5%, et cetera, et cetera, all the way down. Tim Scott at 9%, we should mention. So Trump's doing slightly worse in Iowa, and his challengers, including DeSantis, are doing slightly better. And 70% of Republicans said they're at least open to or considering someone other than Donald Trump. That doesn't mean they'll vote against Donald Trump necessarily, but they're at least open to having the conversation. And I feel like that is a glimmer of hope for some of these Republicans who are facing down the juggernaut of Donald Trump that, yes, these elections don't happen nationally. They happen in Iowa and New Hampshire and South Carolina and on and on and on. I am just curious where (laughs) the local appearances matter. Like Mike Pence went to that family leader summit a couple weeks ago, you know, thought he could just pal around with his fellow evangelicals. Uh, That's a Christian group in Iowa, for those that aren't familiar. And Tucker Carlson was moderating all the panels and he grilled Mike Pence about Ukraine (laughs) on January 6th. And it's like, if Mike Pence can't go to Iowa and talk to Christians, what can he do? (laughs) And that just, that's another signal that like, if this is a national Republican race, Donald Trump is the nominee. If Ron DeSantis or or others can succeed in making these a series of state-by-state races where they can separate out national and local issues and endorsements, et cetera, maybe one of them can win. But it's very unclear how they get there right now. Or at least be supported financially long enough Mm -hmm. to make it to some of the later states and wait out the legal issues that Trump is facing and see if there's any movement that would change the campaign in some way for him. I know there are a lot of stories about Trump maybe taking a plea deal or this or that. I know Mm -hmm. that will never happen because he's on a revenge tour. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure he thinks he can win. And I mean, the polling is kind of shows the same, right? Or at least a high probability of it. But, Mm -hmm. you know, for all of these candidates, there's so many of them. They're fighting for the same cash. And like, as you, you, you know this better than anyone having covered campaigns, that like campaigns don't die they die because you run out of cash, right? You mm-hmm. run out of momentum. Mm-hmm. And you have to have like a decent showing. You don't have to beat Trump in New Hampshire or Iowa or South Carolina, but I think you have to come like close to second. Mm-hmm. And then I think you might be able to to stay on the trail for a while mm-hmm. because of the strong financial incentive for all these donors to not let Trump be the nominee again. Tara, I want to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to ask you about the Democrats in 2024. Hey, Powers That Be listeners, I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated list of gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. I use Etsy all the time and have for years. I bought my brother some artwork. I bought my wife some jewelry. I even bought a rug for our living room on Etsy. I love it. But there's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for friends and family members around the holidays or birthdays in my life. And sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with gift mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. 
And I actually just found the perfect gift for a buddy who's just as into Cincinnati sports as I am, a hot cup of Joe, Joe Burrow mug. That's right. I found that on Etsy. It's amazing. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Are you tired of sleeping hotter than hell? I sure am. I sleep hot. There's something crucial about sleep that eludes us when we're too warm, too uncomfortable, and too caught in the web of our own thoughts to drift off. And while curiosity fuels our days, science tells us that cool sleep recharges our nights. That's where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Meet the bed cooling system that elevates the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. I love it. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees, allowing your body to rest and recover. This isn't just about escaping the heat, it's also about optimizing your sleep for better health, more energy, and improved physical and cognitive performance, which I obviously need hosting a podcast. Chili pads are designed for one or two sleepers, so if your sleep partner likes to sleep at a different temperature, or you only need it for one side of the bed, that's okay too, and we know that's crucial. Plus, you can schedule automated temperature changes to trigger deep sleep. But when I'm at home, Chili Pad solves those problems. So trust me on this one. Visit sleep.me slash powers to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code powers. This offer is available exclusively for powers that be listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleep.com dot me slash powers because you're not just investing in better sleep you're creating a better life welcome back to the powers that be everybody i'm talking to tara palmieri about 2024 tara has a piece up on puck called the biden edge case where yes we all know biden is running for re-election but uh, i don't have to say how old he is <laughs> fine 80 he can get sick he can die. He can decide, you know what? I actually don't want to run. It is all possible. Everything in politics <laughs> is possible. And so, Tara, you went through, you called a bunch of Democrats and sort of compiled this list of people who would run for the Democratic nomination if Biden somehow decides not to or is not fit to. And shit, maybe this could play out at the Democratic convention in 2024. Maybe something happens to yeah. Biden before then. So, Obviously, Kamala Harris uh, is on the list. She's the sitting vice president. Uh, she wants to be president. She ran for president last time and did horribly, but still. You also have J.P. Pritzker, the governor of Illinois, who is very ambitious and very rich. You have Gavin Newsom, a.k.a. Daddy Newsom out here in California, uh, the handsomest uh, candidate out of all of them. He has been sticking his neck out. He's become a big surrogate for Joe Biden. He's agreed to debate Ron DeSantis on Fox News. He even sat down with Sean Hannity for an interview. He is portraying himself nationally as a partisan fighter. You've got Mayor Pete, the Secretary of Transportation, who is obviously very talented. And you have Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan, who you know became a national figure during COVID for 
fighting conservatives who are fighting her lockdown policies, et cetera, et cetera. Also, there's a really good profile of Gretchen Whitmer in The New Yorker right now that everyone should go read. I learned a lot. Anyway, I'm rambling, Tara. Who would you rank as like number one out of all those names? Honestly, I mean, I said Kamala because she'll get the Democratic machine, probably, you know, all of Biden's delegates and endorsement. So First of all, I just want to uh, add a little bit more context to why I wrote this list. Um, there's a shift in conversation happening right now that, you know, because Biden's polls aren't great and that he's like tied with with Trump and there's always a possibility, like you said, that anything could happen to him or he could decide to back out. There's a conversation about like, well, maybe it would be good for some candidates and the party overall if Biden dips out late. And that's the thinking, because it wouldn't be 16 candidates on the stage like you saw in 2020, right? Or two debates. It would be only the people that could turn on the money, get the donors, because that's the biggest part of campaigns. Like You need hundreds of millions of dollars to run a presidential campaign, especially when you're running late. And people who have the infrastructure and people who have the talent around them. And so those were kind of like my three prerequisites when I ranked these um, politicians. Kamala Harris gets the White House, right? She gets the Democratic machine, the support of the DNC. We're not saying she's the president, but she would likely get the endorsement of the president and she would be able to travel on Air Force Two or she would be able to use that perch to campaign. And that's very powerful. She'd also probably be supported by the Congressional Black Caucus leaders like Jim Clyburn. And thanks to the way the primaries states have been arranged on the Democratic side, she would start in South Carolina, mm-hmm. which would be very beneficial mm-hmm. to her because decides presidents and tends to favor African-Americans. Mm-hmm. So then I chose J.B. Pritzker because um Oh, and here's the other thing. The reason that I rank these people is because based on all of my reporting, no one would stand down for Kamala Harris. What I was told that she would absolutely be primaried, even if the president said, I'm not running, I'm going to leave this to my vice president. Hmm. So I chose J.B. Pritzker because, yes, he's endorsed Biden. He's on his national advisory board. But by all accounts, he's got, you know, a top team around him, national consultants, including Jeff Pollack. The machine is pretty much ready to go. He's willing to spend a billion dollars of his own money on mm-hmm. the campaign. Mm-hmm. He's always financed his own campaigns. He spent $330 million. He is a billionaire. The family is like the Hyatt, Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines. All of these huge companies is the Pritzker family. They are associated with that. And you know, he also just knows other wealthy people. So the money won't be an issue. And that's always an issue when you're turning on a campaign, especially mm-hmm. late in the mm-hmm. game. Mm-hmm. Plus, he's kind of like chubby and he looks like every guy kind of looks like he could be a mechanic. <laughs> His suits don't fit. He's got this sort of like working man feel. He would get he might get labor endorsements. Uh-huh. Um, he's done a lot for African-Americans. I, I think he's got that Midwest feel and that's become a core part of the Democratic Party right now. So I put JB after her. Then uh, I put Gavin Newsom just because I think even though he's in California and there's tons of money, I think it'll be a little bit harder for him to turn on the money. You know, oh, one more thing. JB got the convention in Chicago. He fought really hard for that. So if there's a floor fight, I mean, there's no saying what this guy can do. He can just give out (laughs) gifts and and jobs and things to win delegates if that ends up happening. Obviously, that's kind of a pipe dream, but we'll see. Gavin Newsom. I mean, just like JB, he's got this team around him that's like really jockeying right now, Um, even though they're all in for Biden. They're Mm -hmm. like, we're all in for Biden. But if he steps aside for one second, we're ready. I think, Tara, that, you know, the very fact that advisors 
and people around these people were willing to talk to you for this is a signal that they want to be in the conversation <laughs> for 2024. Oh, absolutely. This is the conversation for 2024 right now. Gavin Newsom could turn on the money, could play in California, which is an expensive media market. He's got a lot of aides around him who are ready to go. And he's at the blue state warrior. Mm -hmm. um, and then Pete has the infrastructure from running in 2020. He did really well in Iowa. He's got great team around him. And he has a lot of donors who would probably be ready to support him again. And he's got a great list, which he continues to use. He sells a super PAC. Gretchen Whitmer just launched a super PAC. And she's clearly positioning herself. She doesn't have the infrastructure that Pete Buttigieg has, but you know, she has these top political advisors around her and she's definitely seen as someone who is a star in the party and shouldn't mm -hmm. be counted out. She's proven that she can raise cash and that's again really important especially if Biden drops out late. Yeah, I think one of the most astute things in this piece, Tara, is Kamala Harris doesn't scare anyone away. Like she might get certain democratic party infrastructure behind her. I think you're very smart to point out that South Carolina is now first and somewhere between like 50 and 60% of that primary is going to be black. But insiders aren't scared by Kamala Harris. <laughs> and so uh, no one's going to step aside for the sitting vice president. That's for sure. Tara, thanks so much for your reporting. Good to hear from you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.